In the name of Jesus. Amen. Rip your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Ash Wednesday is a day of repentance. Turn around. Change your mind. Change your heart. We wrestle with the questions, does God relent from disaster because the people repent? Do the people repent because of God's character? Is it one or the other? A both and? A little bit of this and a little bit of that? This was Jonah's problem, if you recall. He helps answer the question. Recall Jonah, the old prophet's situation, old racist, fish-gut-smelling Jonah, the cushy and comfortable court prophet who Yahweh told to go and tell Nineveh, that wicked city, yet 40 days and you will be destroyed. And Jonah didn't run the other way because he liked ocean liner cruises and longed for the exotica of Tarshish, wherever that is, but because he knew something about God and his character. When poor old prophet Jonah, stinking like no Lenten fish fry I know, finally sloshes and splashes his way to the middle of Assyria's capital and proclaims the judgment of Yahweh on the nation, the unthinkable happens. The people actually believe what the prophet said. (laughs) Let me repeat that. The people, as wicked and pagan and religiously backward, even if cosmopolitan and thoroughly chic as they are, actually believe what God says through the prophet. And they repent. They put on sackcloth, they put on ashes, they mourn and weep and wail in the streets, not just the men, but the women and the children and the priests and the cattle, yep, even the animals, the ashes on all of them. And what's the response? What does Jonah, the chauvinist, the bigot, the uppity, my God is for me and my people, not big enough for people I hate, not big enough for people who hate me, what does he say about the matter? Here's what he says when he sees Nineveh's repentance. Through clenched teeth, he says, Ha! I knew it! I knew it! That's exactly what I knew would happen. And that's why, precisely why, I booked a ticket as far away from you as possible, Lord. I knew this would happen because your word always has an effect. And because you're a God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And a God who loves people as unlovable as the Ninevites. I knew you'd put me in a position to preach to a people who don't deserve it, and you, you forgive them. Just let it go. Just pass over all the reasons to strike them from the face of the earth. Instead of making them a byword among the nations, the dirty joke of history, you've made it so the joke's on me, and I've got egg on my face. I knew it! Because that's consistent with your character. If there's a joke here at all, then God's got a sick sense of humor, a a rapier wit. And that's not always good news. It wasn't so good for Jonah. It's never so good for the rich and the righteous. Never good for the wise and the wealthy. It's never good for the sinless and the successful. Because for such people, the picture of God, 
that is most comforting is the sustainably magic deity who keeps a ledger standard of constant and steady growth as the measuring stick of universal harmony and happiness. That's not a God who would have mercy on people who don't deserve mercy. Rather, the God who justly upholds a standard of perfection that some people just have a better knack at showing off. I'm glad, says the Pharisee in Jesus' parable. I'm thankful, he says, that I'm not like other men, extortioners, adulterers, this tax collector standing here. I fast twice a week. I give 10% of all my income. The Pharisee's God is a magic God, a sorcerer's God, a witch's God, a God of the superstitious, a New Age self-actualization God with attitudes of positivity and other such abstract nonsense, getting out what you put in, a God who will do his part if only you do yours, sympathetic magic, say the right words, do the right thing, do the thing right and you'll get what you give. That's satanic arts in a nutshell. And the nutcases who dish out religion like this will get their reward. No mistake. And this should remind you too that we don't teach about God that way. Don't teach yourself and don't teach others about God that way. And it should remind you also that the final cause of God's mercy is not your good behavior. It's not even your good behavior this hour or throughout this season. Let no sister, let no brother, let no neighbor think that she's getting the goods from God because she ashed her head today, because he's fasting from fast food or some other adolescent addiction, because they're doing their due obligation and going to church and observing a Lenten tide. Mm Mm-mm. The final cause of God's mercy is not your good behavior and pious reflection any more than it is your works of righteousness that make you better than other men, even this tax collector. Jesus said the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility, in a word. A striking and simple and surgically sober come to Jesus, not a come to Jesus moment, but a come to Jesus habit, a come to Jesus life, A come to Jesus now, because now is the day of salvation. God needs no works and no bribery and no magic motivation. He doesn't need to move. He doesn't need to save. He doesn't need to listen. And that's what humility knows. Humility confesses, I am no God. I am a sinner. God, be merciful to me. A prayer not a demand, a prayer, not a swap, a prayer, not a smarmy deal where you're trying to shave off a few points or one-up your neighbor. You're not in the driver's seat when you're dealing with humility. When you're dealing with humility, you're not even standing. 
You're on your knees. You're not in the dealer's chair. You're in the dust. Your attitude is like that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be fought for, envied, wrestled over, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a slave, being found in our flesh. In human likeness, he emptied himself, made himself nothing, and became obedient to death, the death of a cross. The final cause of God's mercy is humility. Not yours, but God's. The final cause of God's mercy is God himself in Christ, who in love himself repents of bringing disaster on his people. The final cause of God's mercy is God himself in Christ. In Christ he relents. In Christ his heart is changed. In Christ his mind is altered. In Christ he changes his mind about you. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree. We wither and perish, but not changes thee. This unchangeable God sees his son Christ on the tree and says, how can I give you up? How can I give you over? My heart is torn, says the Lord. My compassion overflows. In Christ, our God relents from disaster for you. This grit, these ashes wash off. But something more resilient, more gritty, more violent, and more indelible will never wash off of you. And that's the sign, the mark, the print of the cross that was printed on you when you had it applied to you in your baptism, received the sign of the Holy Cross both upon your head and upon your heart to mark you, to print you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Christ whose nail-printed hands are the proof of his promise, the character of God's character as a God who loves you. He changes his mind about you. The humble are not left in the dust. The humble actually believe what God has said in Christ. In the name of Jesus.